Thanks. Mo's going to read for us from Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 4. So the reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 16, and it's on page 1175. Unity in the body of Christ. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. Please do uh, be seated. A few weeks ago I was preaching at a church on the Wirral uh, on a passage that I have to confess I didn't really understand. Um, You'll be pleased to know, uh, I think I've got a little bit more understanding of our passage uh, this morning, which is I think it was a great encouragement if the preacher has some understanding of what he's talking about. Uh, 
it gives the congregation a little more chance of understanding what he's talking about. Uh, I'm looking at Ephesians 4, uh, page 1, I think it's 1175 in our Bible, if you want to turn to Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. I'm just going to focus in on a couple of verses. But I'm going to start with a quote. Uh, how would you finish the following sentence? It's a, it's a quote from a Christian book. I would say, I'm quoting now, uh, I would say without hesitation that the most urgent need in the Christian church today is dot, dot, dot. goes on, and as it is the greatest and most urgent need in the church, it's obviously the greatest need of the world also. Obviously, because if God is at work through his church to bring salvation to the world, then what's most important for the church is going to be the most important for the world that it's trying to reach. Uh, I would say that presentation, the most urgent need in the Christian church today is dot, dot, dot. I wonder what you would uh, put in the blank there. What might be the greatest need of the church today? Um, I guess if we went round with a, a roving mic, we might get a variety of answers. And if we asked outside the church, I guess a whole load more. Uh, it's a quote from a book by Martin Lloyd-Jones who's arguably the greatest English-speaking, although he was Welsh, uh, English-speaking preacher of the last century, uh, 20th century, many years minister of Westminster Chapel in London. If you know of him, it might not surprise you, this is what he wrote. I would say without any hesitation that the most urgent need in the Christian church today is true preaching. I wonder if that came to your mind. Uh, you can be sure if you stood outside the shops in Hartford asking people what is the greatest need of the world today, you'd be there a very long time, I think, before somebody said to you, well, obviously preaching. Uh, don't miss in that little sentence, by the way, the little word true. Uh, what is needed today is true preaching. In other words, not just any old preaching. Uh, there's plenty of preaching from pulpits that the church and the world will be a whole lot better off without but, but it's biblical, faithful, spirit-filled, Christ-exalting, gospel-proclaiming preaching. That is the preaching that seeks to do what Paul was called to do. In, in chapter 3, verse 8 of Ephesians, he speaks about how by God's grace he's been given this calling to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. And of course that is the greatest need of the world, isn't it? And of the church, to know the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to have them proclaimed to us? I agree with him. Um, you might think, well, given you're a preacher, as someone once said, well, you would say that, wouldn't you? But I, I, the reason I think Lloyd-Jones is right is because of Ephesians 4, uh, because of the passage we're looking at this morning. There's, there's so much in these verses, 1 to 16. I'm really going to focus on verses 11 to 13 where it says that Christ gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. I think that's one, that should be like a hyphen, it's one um, office there, pastor-teacher, um, to prepare God's or to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Christ has gifted the church with these four offices or roles. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. And the first thing to notice about that, what they all share in common is, 
It's all word-based ministries, all to do with teaching and proclaiming the word of God. But there's also a distinction between them. If you've got your Bibles open, if you just glance across to chapter 2, Paul, again, speaking about the church, says there in uh, verse uh, 20 that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and become a holy temple to the Lord. Um, And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Uh, Just to say uh, here, um, because of course it's true that any individual Christian is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But what Paul is saying there, and indeed in our passage today, is that in a very special sense, that is most strongly realized and experienced and fulfilled when God's people are together. But we're being built together. And it's within the people of God that the, uh, God now dwells by his spirit. In the Old Testament, it was the temple. But now he's saying, no, it's not a building anymore. It's a people. We are the temple. And God dwells by his spirit. But notice in those verses, Paul emphasizes the foundational role of the apostles and prophets. They're the foundation, Christ is the cornerstone, upon which the temple is built, upon which the people of God are built. Uh, We might say, apostles and prophets, Paul there is meaning the way in which God's word has come to his people in the Old Testament through the prophets, in the New Testament through the apostles. In other words, the church is built upon the foundation of the word of God. And that work, of course, is now complete and fulfilled. That's why the foundation, you don't keep building a foundation. Once you've laid your foundation, you build the rest of the building. But your foundation needs to be right and strong. And what what Paul's saying here, this is the foundation upon which everything is built. It's the foundation of the word of God that's come to us through the prophets and through the apostles with Christ as cornerstone. So when we look at chapter 4, and Paul lists these, these four offices, some to be apostles, some to be prophets, there's, there's implied, because he's already talked about it, they're the foundation. Now then, building on that foundation, he's also given some to be evangelists and some to be pastor teachers. Two more additional roles, separate from, but based on, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Evangelists and pastor teachers. Evangelists. The word evangel simply means gospel, which simply means good news. It's all the same word, evangel, gospel, good news. An evangelist is somebody who speaks the good news, the gospel message about the Lord Jesus Christ. They preach the gospel, the good news, which is found where? In the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Interesting is, if you remember when when Philip meets the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts, the Ethiopian eunuch is reading from Isaiah 53, Old Testament prophet. And he asks him, who's the prophet talking about, himself or somebody else? And Luke says, beginning with that very passage, Philip began to teach him the good news about Jesus. The gospel's not just found in the New Testament. The prophets preach the good news. And the apostles preach the good news. And evangelists take that message and share it, proclaim it, teach it. The message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the gospel is preached, so people respond in repentance and faith And not only do they become Christians, but they are also joined together with other Christians and a church is formed and a church begins to grow or an existing church grows as new Christians are added to it. 
Again, the New Testament knows no distinction. As soon as you become a Christian, you also become a part of the people of God. You cannot be a Christian and not be a part of his people. And secondly, the office of pastor-teachers, which is what we might think of today as we uh, think of as ministers or pastors or vicars and so on, who, of course, also preach the gospel and teach God's word. Pastor-teachers whose role is to preach and to teach and care for God's people, the church. But how are they to do that? Through the ministry of the word of God. With all that that entails, teaching and preaching, God's word Sunday by Sunday, one-to-one, small groups, courses, pastoring, helping and counselling and comforting God's people through his word, bringing his word to bear in our lives. Shaping and leading and directing a church according to the purposes and priorities of God's word. But then look what Paul says. What is the purpose of this? Why are pastors and teachers to have this role? Verse 12, two, in order to. He's given these roles, why? To do something. To do what? To prepare or to equip God's people for works of service so the body of Christ, the church of Christ, might be built up. And he says more about that, which means reaching to unity in the faith and maturity in knowledge. And it's that link, the connection, that is so important and and our particular focus this morning. Jesus gives us his word, the Bible, through prophets and apostles, and the ministries of evangelists and pastor teachers to equip God's people for works of service or ministry. And if we miss the link, this connection, we fall into either of two possible errors that have troubled and continue to trouble the church down through the ages and to the present day. Two fatal, disastrous errors if we don't, if we don't get this. Either one error is it's all the job of the clergy. The second error, it's all the job of the laity. Laity is, just means people, the people of God. First error, it's the job of the clergy. That's common throughout church history. It's still around today. It's the view that the ordained minister, the paid minister, is the one who is called to serve and to do the work of ministry, serving and ministering to the congregation. Sometimes this view is cherished by clergy uh, who are insecure control freaks, who discourage the laity from serving and getting involved and taking a lead. Uh, They insist on doing everything. Nothing can be done without their permission and express involvement. Sometimes it's cherished by the congregation, by passive and half-hearted congregation members who say to their minister or pastor, no, but that's your job. That's what we pay you for. Uh, To which the right response is not, well, pay me more and I might. Uh, this This is passive, inactive church members who treat church like they are consumers going shopping or guests in a restaurant. We pay to be ministered to. If you do it well, we'll stay. If not, we'll move and find somewhere else that better suits our need. And tragically, COVID, I think, has enabled this attitude to flourish all the more because For a long period of time, we had months as passive non-attenders watching our TVs. And, of course, you can always flick over and find another preacher to listen to if you don't like the one you're currently uh, listening to. 
Uh, I'm sure I've noticed as I've been preaching elsewhere, people holding up imaginary remotes going... <laughs> and that kind of understanding uh, lies behind attitudes such as uh, somebody who feels they're not being visited by the church, though lots of people from church visit them, what they mean is the minister's not visited, so it doesn't count, that kind of attitude. Sometimes the real problem in a church is that the minister is a real bottleneck, controlling and preventing things happening. Sometimes it's a passive, uninvolved and uncommitted congregation who don't want to get involved, who want their religion private and undemanding. Well, that's the first error. It's all the job of the clergy. But another opposite error is it's all the job of the laity. This perhaps is more recent, but it is around today. And to me, it's a great concern for us in the Church of England. There has been in recent years a right recovery and healthy emphasis on the so-called priesthood of all believers or every member ministry, what Paul's talking about here in Ephesians. That all of God's people are to be involved in ministry and service, and that's what Paul says in verse 12, God's people to do works of service, to build up the body of Christ. And as he says in verse 7, that Christ has gifted us all with different gifts. And that's undoubtedly a good thing. It's undoubtedly biblical. Uh, It's what Paul is teaching here. Uh, So what's the problem? Well, the problem is this, that we get from verse 12 that God's people are to do works of service, but we miss the crucial connection with verse 11 that they're equipped to do that by the ministry of God's word, coming through apostles, prophets, evangelists and pastor teachers it goes to the opposite extreme it's the people of god not the ministers who do the ministry so therefore we don't need ministers Um, or we can survive quite happily with less and less of them we don't need them they don't do the work we do in fact they often get in the way we celebrate and embrace every member ministry rightly so but completely miss how it is that every member is to be equipped. For the last eight years, I've been involved in helping to train people for this work of pastor-teacher, four of them specifically at Oak Hill, uh, in helping equip and train pastor-teachers for the Church of England. And I'm very concerned about the Church of England. And I say this not because I'm anti, it's the exact opposite, I love it. Every year, the Church of England publishes its statistics. You can see them online. They're there for all to see. Since 1964, records of attendance, the graph for records of attendance, Church Sunday by Sunday attendance, is like that, as you look at it. The graph is unrelentingly declined. There's not even a blip, occasional upturn. It's like that, unrelenting. The slight worry for me is it's almost from the year I was born. I I don't think there's a direct connection, um, but... But, I mean, it's, imagine if Hartford High School exam results over the last 60 years were like that. Imagine if you're a football manager. I mean, Chelsea sacked the manager when he wins the Champions League. What are you going to be doing if you take him down a division every year for 60 years? Or if you're shareholders in a company whose annual turnover has decreased like that for 60 years. This is the church. And this unrelenting decline is accompanied by, well, less money, proportionally, and less ordained ministers. Uh, 
So what happens are two things. We increase the number of central diocesan jobs. Uh, it, it's unbelievable. The, as the number of clergy have gone down, the number of centralized jobs have gone up and up and up. A mark of decline. And, of course, more importantly, what we do is we amalgamate more and more churches under one minister. And we say this is a good thing because it's enabling the laity to be released and to do more ministry. Less clergy give the opportunity for the laity to step up and flourish. No longer do we need to depend upon ordained clergy. And it might sound good in theory, but the problem is Ephesians 4 tells us, yeah, but if you haven't got the pastor teacher, then the people doing the works of service will not be equipped to do it. Um, Hartford is rare. I don't have up-to-date figures, though you can be sure they're worse than this. This is from seven years ago. 23% of clergy have one church. Flip that around, three-quarters of clergy pastor more than one church. 40% have four or more churches. Uh, Two in five are looking after four or more churches, and some are as many as six, seven, or eight, nine churches. And this was seven years ago. It will increase since then. What does that mean? Well, what it means is this. At best, maintenance. Apart from doing an impossible job, what you're doing is just managing decline. You're not doing, what you cannot be doing is properly, faithfully equipping God's people for works of service, and so there's no growth. There's no building up of the church into maturity, you're just perpetuating decline. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That's a really important thing to say. The problem isn't the harvest. It's not that there's a small harvest. You say, no, the harvest is plentiful. Here's the problem. There's few workers. Jesus said that. It's not something new. There's always a need for more workers. And more workers are who? Well, they're God's people. But how are God's people equipped? By having more pastor teachers working to equip God's people for works of service. And so what is Jesus' solution to that? He doesn't say, well, just shrug and do the best you can and cut your cloth accordingly. He says, pray. It's kind of so simple, we miss it. But pray to whom? The Lord of the harvest. The one who's responsible of gathering in the harvest, who says, I want you to pray to me that I might send up more workers into the harvest field. And we need more workers, and we need more pastor teachers. And if we have more pastor teachers, we can equip more workers, more of God's people for works of service, so that the church, so that local churches can grow in number and in maturity. So what does this mean? Well, firstly, just a personal plea as I go back into ministry from what I've been doing in the light of this passage to encourage you to do as Jesus says, to pray for God to raise up more workers. They come from churches like this. Praying that God's raising up in our midst people who he's calling into this full-time role, a pastor teacher, to help equip more people in God's service secondly all God's people are ministers verse 12 to equip prepare God's people for works of service who's to do the work all of us Uh, the ESV translates this to prepare God's people for uh, the work of ministry 
I sometimes get asked, when did you go into the ministry? And I understand the question, what they're asking. What they mean is, when was I ordained? And the answer is 1988. But the true answer to the question, when did I go into the ministry, is 1978. Because that's when I became a Christian. And as soon as I became a Christian, I entered the ministry. As did you. The moment you became a Christian, you entered the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, his service for the church to serve his people wherever, however, and whenever he wants you to be. If you are a Christian, you are a worker in his service. You are a minister in his service. And, and perhaps it's worth reminding ourselves of this again, isn't it? I, th- I think the purpose uh, for this mini-series coming uh, as it does after two, three years of COVID and lockdown in the midst of other strains and stresses is that it allows us just to remind ourselves about this. Uh, we're all going uh, through strains and stresses at this time. We're, we're weary, many of us, tired, anxious, worried, with all kinds of stress and burdens. And maybe as a kind of aftermath of lockdown, we, we found ourselves being less involved or, or stopped certain activities and it's kind of hard to get going again or we've got out of the habit or wary of starting or maybe we've joined the church since and we're kind of still just feeling our way. But maybe these three weeks are an opportunity in our passage today, an opportunity to take time to reflect and pray and seek the Lord's will. Lord, am I serving where you want me to be? Is there something you'd like me to get involved with, to start doing, to help or support with? And maybe like me, exactly as I'm feeling, but Lord, I'm a bit scared about that because I've quite liked not being in the thick of it. And I'm not sure if I'm able, and I'm very aware of my weaknesses, and other people seem so much better equipped than me. Hmm. Well, the third point is all God's people need equipping. The vital components of a healthy, growing church is what Paul is outlining in these verses. And uh, we haven't got time for it this morning, but you can see it in the passage. The vital components are a commitment to unity, and to love, and to truth. All of which are fueled and shaped and fed by faithful, persistent, careful, gracious preaching and teaching of God's word. And if we're feeling weary and anxious and maybe reluctant, maybe inadequate, not up to the job, maybe just got a lot on our plates, stressed with all kinds of demands, family and finances and job, what we need is to be equipped, to be prepared, to be encouraged by the Holy Spirit speaking through his word to us. In Ephesians 3 you glance across again, a verse already referred to. Paul summarized his preaching as grace given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Do you see, that's why we need to be equipped. Because I feel very poor. And I'm spiritually unworthy. And I'm weak. And sinful. What do I need? I need to be shown and reminded and have exalted before me the unsearchable riches of Christ. Are you poor? 
here's the place to come. Do you feel inadequate? Here's the one to look to. Do you feel weak? Here's the one who'll give you strength. Do you feel unworthy? Here's the one who'll take away your sin. What do I need? I need Jesus. But I need him displayed to me. Spoken of to me. Presented to me. Through the ministry of his word. A friend of mine uh, told me about a church in America where there's a little old lady who sits in the congregation and if her sermon's been on for a little while and the preacher hasn't got to Jesus, she starts to mutter, get him up. And you hear this kind of low, and then as it goes up, get him up. And if it goes on, he's still not got to Jesus, get him up. Get him up. That's what we get Jesus up. Okay. Why? Because he has unsearchable riches. What I need to do is to come into church bruised and battered and weary from a week of living the Christian life in this world. Bringing all the strains and stresses with you. You don't leave them at the door. You bring them in. And what we need is that the preaching of his word that is going to, to take from the apostles and the prophets all of the word of God that speaks of Jesus and lift Jesus up to us so that we see and remind it again of his unsearchable riches so that I go from here renewed and encouraged and refreshed and willing to say, I'll give it another go. I can give it another week. And I can do the things that I think I can't do because he's promised that his grace is all sufficient for me in my weaknesses. Jesus, in his kindness, is building up his church by his spirit through his word, being ministered to his people so that together we're equipped to help each other, to speak the truth in love, to encourage one another, to forgive one another, to be humble towards one another and patient, bearing with one another in love that we might grow into maturity in Christ. And as the unsearchable riches of Christ are proclaimed to us, then we're equipped and renewed to serve him and one another for another week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the church. Lord Jesus, we thank you as we read on in this letter of Ephesians that you love the church so much. You gave yourself up for her to present her to yourself as a beautiful bride without spot or blemish. And that work of growing and purifying your church is going on week in, week out. And we thank you that to help us with that, you have given us your word and you've given us pastors and teachers. We thank you for the faithful ministry of your word in this church uh, over many years. We do indeed pray especially for Mike and John and Grant by your grace. You'd help them to be continually faithful. And that as they proclaim Christ and his unsearchable riches, it might further equip us to serve you wholeheartedly and to serve one another so that we as a church here might grow up into maturity in Christ and to grow both in number and in 
uh, godliness. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.